0: Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. says, "'The word of the Lord came to me, "'Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, "'who have eyes to see but see not, "'who have ears to hear but hear not, "'for they are a rebellious house. "'As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself "'an exile's baggage and go into exile by day in their sight. "'You shall go like an exile from your place "'to another place in their sight.' perhaps they will understand though they are a rebellious house you shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile and you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those who who must go into exile in their sight dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it in their sight you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk you shall cover your face that you may not see the land for i have made you a sign for the house of israel And I did as I was commanded, I brought out my baggage by day as baggage for exile, and in the evening I dug through the wall with my own hands, I brought out my baggage at dusk, carrying it on my shoulder in their sight. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem, and all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign for you, as I have done, so it shall be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk, and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it, and he shall cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet He shall not see it, and he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops, and I will unsheathe the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord." Now, Ezekiel's told to act, act out this next part of his prophecy, and this prophecy concerns the king and the people still in Jerusalem. Now you say, wait a minute, it didn't it say the prince? Keep in mind that whenever Ezekiel, and of course, the, a lot of these times, God's telling him what to say. Whenever Ezekiel refers to King Zedekiah, he calls him a prince. Does anybody know why he keeps referring to Zedekiah as a prince and not a king? Well, he definitely, Well, he, he, what it was is the other kings had been in the lineage of David and had lined up, but Zedekiah had been appointed by Nebuchadnezzar as king. When he took Jehoiachin as captive, remember at the same time he took Ezekiel and his 10,000, if you will, compadres into exile, Nebuchadnezzar took the king as well, and he put Zedekiah as the king. So he was put in place as the king, but Nebuchadnezzar had appointed him not God, and so he's referred to as the prince. So this prophecy con- concerns Zedekiah and the people still left in Jerusalem, but interestingly enough, if you notice the wording, this message and this um, acting out of this prophecy is to be a message to the exiles who are already in Babylon. He says, look, in verses one through three, you see, he said, the word of the Lord came to me, said of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. Well, where is Ezekiel living right now? Now he's living in Babylon. So he's in Babylon with the exiles. And so he's told, you dwell right now in the midst of a rebellious house. Where you're living, the other exiles, they're rebellious people still. And he's told to do this over and over in their sight, in their sight. So interestingly enough, Even though the message is concerning Zedekiah and the people of Jerusalem and what's going to happen to them, he's to give this prophecy to the people in, in Babylon as a message to them about what's going to happen. Now, the reason why is when people say, well, why in the world would he talk to them about what's going to happen over there? The reason is, is the people in exile already needed to hear about the people in Jerusalem because the exiles had been told by false prophets that their exile would be brief that they'd be going back to Jerusalem so even though they were in exile and Ezekiel's been talking about all the judgment that's coming on Jerusalem and all this stuff the exiles who are in Babylon for the most part still thought we're not going to be here long you remember last time we looked at the message from Jeremiah to the exiles where he says build houses plant crops well actually let me remind you of that go back to Jeremiah 29 and I'll read to you verses 1 through 9 Jeremiah 29 verses 1 through 9 it says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, that's Jehoiachin, by the way, and after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of El- Elasa, the son of Shephan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, mul- and multiply there, and do not decrease But seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah sends a letter to the exiles in Babylon, and he says, Look, plant house- I mean, build houses, plant crops, that your kids marry each other. Prosper there. You're going to be there a while. And don't listen to the false prophets who are in your midst saying that something different. Go back to chapter 28 of Jeremiah and look at verses 1 through 4. You'll see that there were false prophets in Jerusalem saying everything's going to be fine and this isn't going to be a long exile. And in a second, I'm going to show you how the prophets in, in Babylon, what they were saying as well. In Jeremiah 28, verses 1 through 4, it says, In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah... In the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon." I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So this prophet there in Jerusalem named Hananiah from Gibeon, he comes and he speaks in the temple to Jeremiah in the presence of the priests, and he says, Thus says the Lord, Within two years, I'm bringing everybody back. All the stuff that was stolen from the temple, God says it's coming back. And the exiles, King Jehoiachin and all that, they're coming back. We've got a problem now, don't we? Hananiah is saying it's only going to be two years. Jeremiah says, there's a letter saying it's going to be 70 years. We'll go to chapter 29. Look at verses 15 through 23 and watch what happens. Jeremiah 29, look at verse 15. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Remember, this is the letter still now. Chapter 29 is the letter to the exiles in Babylon. Because you have said the Lord has raised up for us prophets in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs, that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I'll pursue them with the sword, with famine and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah. This is a different Zedekiah, not the king of, of Jerusalem at the time. This is a different Zedekiah. This is a Zedekiah in an exile in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. By the way, does Nebuchadnezzar have a fiery furnace? Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel, they have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. So as you see, what was going on was, in Jerusalem, there were false prophets. One of them we see now is named Hananiah, who was saying, hey... It's not going to be a long exile. Those people that were taken, they're going to be back in a couple of years. God's already said so. All the stuff stolen out of the temple, it'll be back. Also, in Babylon, there were false prophets. Here we see one of them is named um, Zedekiah, and the other one is named um, Ahab. And they're actually saying to everybody, look, you're not going to be here long. Don't plant houses. I mean, don't build houses. Don't plant crops. You're only going to be a brief period of time, and you're going back. But Jeremiah, though, is saying... No, you're going to be there a long time. And actually, not only are you going to be there a long time, but let me tell you what's going to happen to the people that are still in Jerusalem and the king there, or the prince, as Ezekiel calls him. Let me tell you what's going to happen to them. They're going to be taken captive as well as you, and most of them will be killed. So how do we know who's telling the truth, guys? How do we know? Because they're both saying, thus says the Lord. How do we know which prophet's telling the truth? Results is one of the answers. There's two ways that I want to show you from Scripture. Second one is results, and we'll deal with that one next. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. If you're taking notes, put it down in your notes this way. The two ways you'll know whether or not the person is actually speaking the Word of God is, one, does what he says match up with the Word of God? Does what he says match up with the Word of God? Deuteronomy 13... Look at verses 1 through 5. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So here he says, look, even if this person does miraculous signs, if what they say doesn't match up with the word of God, don't listen to them. But we also see here in this passage... Why does God allow false prophets out there? Testing. Yeah, he goes, He's allowing this to test you to see whether or not you're going to obey him. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Well, actually, we could take the time and do that now. What's the only way you're going to know in these last days which preachers are preaching truth and which ones are preaching falsehood? Because the Bible does say very clearly that there'll be false teachers in the last days. The Bible also says that there'll be doctrines taught by demons. Exactly. Folks, you don't know the Word of God, you'll be led astray. You may or may not know this, but there are a lot of preachers out there today and there's large movements within quote-unquote Christianity and within quote-unquote the church where preachers are teaching around this country things that aren't true with the Word of God and they're preaching it because there are people with itching ears who want to hear those types of things. There are even preachers, young preachers out there today who are following famous preachers, not maybe famous to you if you haven't really followed a lot of this junk, but there are famous preachers out there that are well-known to a lot of the younger Christians out there who are teaching things like Jesus isn't the only way to God and that there are many ways for people to go to heaven. And these are people within, and I say, quote, unquote, the church who are teaching and preaching these things. If what they say doesn't match up with the word of God you'll know that what they're, they're not speaking for God. Now, I am remind you, I've done this before, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but I want to remind you that one of the problems is, is many of us in Christianity know some awesome biblical truths, but we only know it because someone told us. If I were to ask you how many of you believe in the virgin birth, you'd probably all raise your hands, wouldn't you? But if I were to ask you to stand up right now and tell us where in the Bible... The Bible says that Jesus would be born of a virgin, or was born of a virgin. How many of you could actually stand up and tell me where? And I'm not doing this to shame you. Some of you may say, Jim, do you question whether or not Jesus? No, no, I know where it is. I could take the time and show you. But I say this to you because you believe a true doctrine. But you believe it not because you know that the word says it. You believe it because someone told you. Same thing if I asked you about the Trinity. How many of you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Hopefully most of you, not all of you, would say, yes, I believe in that. Great, you should. It's a true doctrine. Now, you will have a hard time finding the word Trinity in the Bible, but all throughout the Scriptures, there are many places that teach the truth of the doctrine of the God being one God, yet He manifests Himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the question is, could you show me anywhere it says that? Or do you believe a true doctrine because the preacher said, God is one God and He is in three persons? Do you see what I'm saying? You all need to know the word of God because it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And just like there were false prophets in Jerusalem and false prophets even in Babylon in the exile, there are going to be many, many false preachers in the last days. And the Bible even says, by the way, that this, thank God, it's after we have been taken away. But during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to be able to do amazing miracles. And the Bible says... These miracles are going to be so amazing, they would even be able to fool the elect if that were possible. So even if a prophet or dreamer dreams, dreamers arise among you and gives a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, but then he says, let's go after other gods, or there's not just one way, there's many ways, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. So one of the main ways you'll know that what the person is saying is actually from God is, does it match up with the Scriptures? Secondly, what you brought out, Jim, does what they prophesy actually come to pass? Just turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Look at verses 20 through 22. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods... That same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, Well, how may we know the word the Lord has spoken? Good question. How are we going to know? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you need not be afraid of him. Oh, by the way, has anybody caught yet in these two passages what's to happen when someone says, Thus says the Lord, and it's not from God? They're to die. Do you understand why when I share with you things that I believe the Scripture teaches, I take it very, very seriously? I'm not going to just throw out, well, I just kind of, I think this or I think that. When you ask me questions, that's why I have no problem saying I don't know if I don't know. But I only want to share with you what the Scripture has to say because the Bible says in James chapter 3, don't all of you seek to be teachers because those of you who teach will be held in higher accountability, stricter judgment. Oh, we got plenty of people that want to see themselves as teachers and preachers, and especially in this day and age of social media and all the ways that the Internet has allowed anybody to put out their views. There are a lot of people out there online wanting to be preachers and teachers of the Word of God. Folks, I don't know how many of you have even taken the time to use the Internet for study, and you find out there is some wacko stuff going on. Well, don't worry, God will take care of those false teachers. And I want you at the same time to never just assume because Jim studies hard and Jim prays and Jim takes seriously the word of God. We'll just take what Jim has to say. Don't do that. You better check everything I say against the scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, there was a group of people called the Bereans. And the Bible says very clearly they were more noble than the Thessalonians because when Paul came and preached in Berea, they didn't just take it as the word of God. They checked everything Paul said against the scriptures. So I want to encourage you and challenge you I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in Bible study. I'm glad you're studying the Word of God. Please understand that there's going to be a lot of false teaching. You and I had a conversation ahead of time about it. It's rampant. And how are you going to know? Does what he say match up with the Word of God, the whole of Scripture? And does what they say is going to happen next actually happen next? All right? They're a cloud without rain. <laughs> yeah, you're, talking, you're quoting Jude. They're a cloud without rain. I'm quoting yep. That was today? I made that one so many weeks ago, I forgot. So. Go to Jeremiah chapter 28. Watch how crazy this gets. Jeremiah chapter 28. Look at verses 5 through 17 now. Remember, we had just been introduced to Hananiah, the son of Azur, the one who came in front of Jeremiah in the temple and said, Oh, they'll only be in exile two years. In verse 5, it says, Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, The prophet, in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. You hear yet hear now the word, this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. By the way, we hadn't taken the time to lay this out, but God had told Jeremiah to wear an oxen's yoke. It was made out of wood, and he had been walking around talking about how Israel was going to be taken into, into captivity and put under a yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. And the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And they shall serve him, for I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Oh, by the way, which prophet was the one you should have listened to if you were alive at that time? Jeremiah, Jeremiah, because everything he said matched up with the word of God. Did you catch that? How he said all the prophets before you and before me have been saying that there's going to be war, famine and pestilence. What I'm saying matches up with the word of God. What you're saying doesn't match up with the word of God. And oh, by the way, God just told me to tell you, you're not even going to make it. And actually, if you do the study, I think it was like two months later, he dies. Oh, and by the way, what happened to Azur and Zedekiah, the false prophets in Babylon? They were roasted in the fire of Nebuchadnezzar. Because Remember how God said there's going to be a a saying now, a curse? May the same thing happen to you that happened to Azur and Zedekiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar roasted in the fire. All right, which means that Ezekiel's words also are the words of the Lord because they're matching up with Jeremiah's whom we found to be the word of the Lord and everything he's saying is true. But now Ezekiel is told to prepare an exile's baggage, which by the way, is just like a backpack, something you throw a few things in, throw it on your back and head out. It's not you know, where you unpack your house and haul all your stuff. An exile's baggage is a very small pack, kind of like a carry-on on an airplane. I'm sorry? Bug out kit, exactly. Ezekiel is told to prepare an exile's baggage and bring it out in the day, but then, in their sight, dig a hole in the wall of his house and sneak out of his house at dusk and cover his face so he can't see the land. Now, back then, they had like mud huts, if you will, and so digging by their hand through the dirt into through the wall to get out wouldn't be hard. It just a little bit of time to do it, but he's to do this in their sight. Now, this visual prophecy, by the way, go back and read it with me in chapter twelve of Ezekiel, verses four through seven. I want to read the prophecy, and then we're going to see how it exactly and literally to the word happened. In Ezekiel chapter 12, look at verses 4 through 7. He says, you shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight, and as baggage for exile you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight. And those as those do who must go into exile in their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. And in their sight you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face so you may not see the land, for I made you a sign for the house of Israel. All right, then he says, I did as they commanded. Now look at verse 8. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel the rebellious house said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord, This oracle concerns the prince Zedekiah in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I'm a sign for you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. And he shall cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread out my net over him and he shall be taken into my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it and he shall die there. And then it says, I'm going to go then scatter all the other people that are with him. Some are going to be killed and many are going to be scattered to other nations. Isn't that interesting? He says, this is what's going to happen to the Zedekiah. He's going to go through a wall at night. Others are going to dig a hole and he's going to go through it. His face is going to be covered. But then I'm going to have him, when he thought he escaped, fall into a trap. And Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar and his army is going to capture him. And they're going to take him to Babylon. And he's going to die in Babylon but he'll never see Babylon. Isn't that an interesting prophecy? How can he go to Babylon, die in Babylon, but never see Babylon? They took out his eyes. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 25. Word for word, what God said would happen through Ezekiel happened. Go to 2 Kings 25 verses 1 through 7. It says, in the ninth year of his reign, by the way, this is the ninth year of the reign of Zedekiah, In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign in the tenth month, and on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it, so the city was besieged till the eleventh year of king Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls." By the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and bound him in chains, and took him to Babylon. Everything that God said was going to happen literally happened just like he said. Jim, I a yeah. question. Why would Zedekiah be taken? To I thought Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah in the position of power. Why would he take and have him dig his way out and be captive and take in the Bible? I don't understand. Okay, first off, keep in mind, Nebuchadnezzar put him in as, as his vassal, is what they call it, where he was just pretty much to work for Nebuchadnezzar. as Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar because what happens if you study the whole story of what happened in those days Zedekiah starts to rebel against the king of of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar says okay enough of that and that's when 605 they came sorry not in 605 588 they came and began their siege by 586 they finished it but during the siege Zedekiah and some people all try to sneak out of a hole in the wall in the night and they capture him and put him to death Good deal. Good question, though. Those are great questions. That's that, that. See, that's that's excellent because that's that's what Bible study is. As you read something, you go, "Well, why would that happen?" And as you do the research and you do the digging, you'll find the answers will be in the scriptures. Go ahead, Mark. So closely related. How? How? What were the years these books were written apart? I'll be honest with you. Um, Jeremiah and Ezekiel overlapped a little bit. Yeah, Isaiah started. Oh, 2 Kings, this this is the account of 2 Kings after Ezekiel's prophecy. Yeah, no, this all, what we just read happened after Ezekiel did all his acting out in Babylon. He'd already been taken captive, and uh, around, remember, he would taken captive in 597 B.C., and it is until 6, sorry, 597, and then it was 586 B.C. when this happened. So, You know that's how this all happened. All right, go back to Jeremiah 16, though. I want to look and show you something in verses, uh, verse 16. Did I say Jeremiah? I mean Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel six, uh, chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 16. I touched on this verse last time we were together, but I just really feel like we need to take a little bit more time, really digging into it tonight. All right, and and. uh, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 16, it says, But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. This is a very important verse that will help us understand one of the many reasons why God sends the ex- Jews into exile. If you remember last time we were together, we looked at there's two main reasons why God sent the Jews into exile. One was so that the people they go to would know he's the Lord, and also would be that they would know. But there's more to this that I really don't want us to miss. So I'm going to ask you this question. What does it mean when God says that they're going to go and declare their abominations among the nations and how will this be used to have them know, the exiles know, that God is the Lord? What does it mean that he says, I'm going to send them into these other nations, I'm going to let them escape, and they're going to go to these other nations, and they're going to declare their abominations among those people, and then they'll know that I'm the Lord. Any idea? Go ahead. Now they're going to tell what happened. The big part of it, eventually, eventually. I'm gonna say yes and no. They knew of God. I mean, what God had done through Israel had spread to all the nations around. They knew of the God of Israel. Now, whether they knew all of his laws and commandments, I'm not so sure. The answer you're gonna find in Jeremiah 16, go to Jeremiah 16, verses 10 through 21. Jeremiah 16, starting in verse 10, Jeremiah is told, And when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshiped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows this stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. Now, Stick with me, I'll explain that in a bit. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land and that I gave their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them, and afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill, and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with, with, with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. And then here we hear a cry, a prayer, "'O oh Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble.'" To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, "Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods." Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. To so In answer to the question of what does it mean for them to go out and declare their abominations among the nations, what God is saying is this. Israel, you want to worship me and worship these other gods? You can't serve two masters. So I tell you what. You want to play with Satan? You want to go after these things that I kept telling you not to do? I'm going to let you go into the land from which all these false gods came from and I'm going to let you serve them day and night until you get sick of it and then realize like we see at the end of this section look at what they say again in verse um, 19 oh god you're my strength and my stronghold my refuge in the day of trouble to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say our fathers have inherited nothing but lies worthless things in which there's no profit Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. And I want you to see that this principle is all throughout the scripture. God, as a loving father, has given us his word and shows us what is best and what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Yet we, because of the sin that's in our flesh, always tend to go away and think, well, I know what God says, but don't you think I can do a little bit of this? Or how close to sin can I get? And whenever we start doing that, he eventually says, you want that? Go right ahead. Go get your fill. He gave them over, Romans chapter 1, to their shameful lust. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Remember, the son comes to the father and says, I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. I want my inheritance now so I can run off and party. In other words, you're dead to me now. Now, you and I, if our kid came and said, can I have my inheritance now, we would say over our dead bodies. But the father in that story is God. And the father says, here it is. You want to go run with Satan? Go get your bill. See, you've been playing with him a little bit here and there. I'll let you go serve him day and night. And what happens while he's out there thinking that this is it? He comes to his senses. He realizes, you know what? Even my servants had it better. My father's servants had it better than I do now. He goes back in repentance. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul's dealing with the church in Corinth there, and there was a person in that church who the Scripture said was sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it doesn't mean his mother. It might be that his father had married somebody and then divorced her, and now the son was married to her, whatever it is. There was some sexual sin going on, and the church was okay with it. Paul says to him, look, hand this person over to Satan so that his soul may be saved. In other words, don't keep letting him hang out with the Christians in the church. If he's going to walk in outright disobedience to the word of God and sexual sin and not be repentant about it, remove him from the fellowship. Well, Doesn't 2 Peter chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 3 say that the devil is a roaring lion? Seeking whom he may devour. I've shared this illustration before, but I'll do it again. When you bake something in your oven and your kids are like one or two and walking around, they see the light on in the oven and they want to go touch the hot glass. And as a loving parent, you would say, honey, don't touch that. That's not good for you. And they would reach out again and you'd say, no, honey, take your hand away. This is, look, mommy and daddy are telling you not to do this because this is best. But if they keep reaching up for it, you might even slap their hand and say, no. But if they still want to do it, what will you eventually have to do? Let them touch it. I remember even telling our kids, put your lips on it if you want to. Go ahead. Of course, my wife didn't love that idea when I said that. And I remember years ago when Nicole, who's now 23, was like four or five. And she and I were in the backyard of the parsonage where I lived in, pastor in Chicago. And we lived in a parsonage right next door to the church. And I hope it never happens ever again. And, uh, but we were playing in the backyard, kicking a ball back and forth. And I was smoking some meat in a smoker that I had bought at Walmart. And I love smoked meat. And, but I had gotten that thing good and hot. AJ was not even barely one year old. And he was toddling around, and I couldn't play with Nicole, because he kept wanting to go over to the grill. He sees the smoke and all this stuff, and he keeps reaching up for it. And I had to run over there and say, no, no, no. Finally, I realized the only way he's going to learn not to touch this is I'm going to have to let him touch it. So I literally said, "Okay, do you want to touch this? He said, yes. I said, here's what you do. Stick out one finger, AJ. Just give me one finger and touch it with one finger. He let out a yell that got me in so much trouble with Becky. (laughs) you know what happened I could play with Nicole because he wasn't going anywhere near that grill and God says look I've been telling you for years through these prophets through the people through my word this isn't good for you you don't really want this but if you want to you won't listen I'm gonna let you go and serve those gods day and night until You get sick of it. Some of you might have come out of alcoholism or drugs. You know full well what we're talking about. But what you thought was what you needed finally came to a place where you said, this ain't it, makes me sick. You know what? Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there's no profit. Can a man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. They came to know that God is the Lord. And so, folks, I just want to challenge you. Please listen as the Father works with us on areas of our lives that he says this isn't good for you. Because if we keep the hard heart and keep tuning him out, eventually he'll say, go get your fill. Now, it isn't because he hates you. It isn't because he wants to send you to hell. Did you catch that in 1 Corinthians 5? You can go double check it. Hand this man over to Satan so that his soul may be saved. In other words... He's playing in the church, playing in the world. Let him go play with Satan and get a full taste of what life with Satan's really like. Let him serve him day and night. He's going to come to a place where he realizes this ain't it. Then he'll know that I'm God. All right? I think we got time. If you're ready to listen quick, go back to Ezekiel chapter 12. I think we can finish the chapter. Ezekiel chapter 12, look at verses 17. Through 28. By the way, for the sake of time, I won't read this to you, but uh, I mean, I won't read what I'm about to have you write down. Write down Isaiah 64, the whole chapter, Isaiah 64. I don't know this for a fact, but I strongly believe that Isaiah 64 is going to be recited and quoted and read and just said aloud by the Jews while they're in hiding in Basra during the tribulation. Folks, I I just don't have time to get there tonight. I wish I could read it to you. But you go and read Isaiah 64, where the Jews were, I believe, going to call out and say, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. We sinned. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have done wrong. Would you come fix it? Would you come fix it? We thought we knew what we wanted, but now we realize that ain't it. And so that's just an amazing passage to read it later on. But read it as if the Jews are saying it in their hiding during the tri- second half of the tribulation. It just will come alive like you wouldn't believe. But in Ezekiel 12, verses 17 to 28, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling, with anxiety, and say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the land of Israel, They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way, her land will be stripped of all it contains on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And the inhabited cities shall be laid waste and the land shall become a desolation. And you shall know that I am the Lord. By the way, has anybody caught how many times he keeps saying this over and over and over? So that you'll know I'm the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, what is this proverb that you have have about the land of Israel, saying, The days grow long, and the, every vision comes to nothing. Tell them, therefore, Thus says the Lord God, I'll put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, The days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision, for there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer." But the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. Interestingly enough, as you know, we see here that he's told to eat his bread and drink his water with trembling and fear. (coughs) Excuse me, because that's a picture of what life is going to get like in Jerusalem real soon. But how can we know... That it will be soon. Because the people of Israel had developed this saying. We see it there in the passage I just read to you. They had developed a proverb. Look at verse 20, uh, 22. Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? In other words, they had developed this proverb that says we keep hearing about all this judgment, but it never happens. Well, yeah, we have all the time in the world. We keep hearing all this judgment stuff, but it never, ever happens. How, then we, how can we know that what Ezekiel's saying here is going to be soon? The answer is right there in the passage i read to you from. He said, in your days. He said, they won't be saying this anymore. Because in your lifetime, you're going to see it. In your lifetime, you'll see it. You see in verse 25? For I am the Lord I will speak the word that I'll speak and it will be performed it will no longer be delayed but in your days o rebellious house I will speak the word and perform it declares the Lord God and it did happen in their lifetime that as we read from 2nd Kings 25 tonight but now also look at verse 26 and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies times far off. This kind of ironic and interesting to me that the same people who were saying, it ain't going to happen. They've been saying this for years and nothing ever happens. It's not going to happen. Actually, if it... The little bit that has happened isn't that big of a deal. We're all coming back in a couple of years and all this stuff. The same people that were saying it isn't going to happen, now in verse 26 say, okay, it might happen, but it's not going to be for a long time. Does that sound familiar? If you're not with me yet, let me take you to 2 Peter chapter 3. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 13. Peter says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. By the way, let me read that verse again, verse 2. That you should remember what? The predictions of Who? the holy prophets. Folks, I hope you understand. Has anybody started to realize as we've been studying Ezekiel, which makes us also study Jeremiah and parts of Isaiah, has anybody started to realize how much prophecy is about our day? And it's just amazing how much the whole Bible's coming to life as we look at the Old Testament. The sad thing is most Christians today, if they even read their Bible, only read the New Testament. Very few Christians even know much about the Old Testament or have even read it or studied it They might know the story of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or walls of Jericho, but they don't know the Old Testament. As you're about to see over and over and over in the New Testament, the word of God was that we in the church should know the Old Testament. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first off, First of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by that, by that means, sorry, and that by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the same word that said that God would judge the earth with the flood is the same word that now says that the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, he doesn't measure time like we do. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. I'm going to say it again. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let me say something to you. You hopefully already understand that I personally am excited and relieved as to how things went in our election, as probably most of us. Yet at the same time, be careful of assuming that we in America have been given a reprieve. If we understand our scriptures, the Bible's very clear that God, who is holy, must judge nations that turn their back on him. And as a whole, our nation still is in that boat. And at the same time, even though we may be excited about Mr. Trump being president, he might actually be used of God to speed up the judgment. We don't know how it's all going to play out. That's why, well, we know kind of how it's going to play out. In the end, we don't see any America. And in the end, every nation on the earth is against Israel. So we know what's heading down the road. My challenge to you is this. Don't just assume, hey, everything's going to be okay now. And let down your guard and your faithful study of the Scripture and listening to the Word of God. We're grateful. We thank Him. But at the same time... Has he changed what he said is going to happen in the end to the United States and to all the nations on the earth? It's not stopped any of it. So with that in mind, there'll be many. And by the way, I lean toward the fact that these scoffers probably come from within the church. You know why? He said they forget these words, which the believers would have known. And on top of that, They say everything has gone on since the beginning of what? Of not time. What's the word that's there? Creation. Who are the only ones believing in creation? Believers. Folks, they're going to be people in the church, in these last days, who are going to say, Tim, all this judgment on the earth and all this stuff isn't going to be like you think. This millennial kingdom of Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom, all this stuff you teach, that's not it. It's all symbolic. It's metaphor. Folks, they're going to be scoffers. I challenge you to know all that the prophets have spoken. Go to Jude, verses 17 through 21. Jude, verse 17. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Again, reminded, remember what God said through the apostles. And by the way, if you ever look at 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, there's a lot that Paul had to say about the last days, and that's when he's one of the apostles, and Peter as well. And also we have uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and other places, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and many other places. But go back to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, and look at verses 17 through 21. Let me remind you as you're going there, Peter is preaching under the filling of the Holy Spirit, the control of the Holy Spirit. Peter, in verse 17 of Acts chapter 3, says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you see it again? Here, Peter preaching in the New Testament says it twice. You need to know what the prophets have said was going to be happening, and Jesus has gone into heaven until the time for restoring all the things the prophets said are going to be restored. Well, Let me ask you a couple of questions: What's still to be restored? The the land of it, the, the the kingdom, which is the, in the, Israel in the land, and we around the earth as it's been reworked. What else? Jerusalem. Our bodies. Yep. Yeah. Well, so- be restored to the earth. Yeah, Jesus will be restored back to the earth. Go real quickly with me to Daniel chapter 9. I know what time it is, and I think we can get it in the last five minutes here. I'm not going to do a breakdown of Daniel 9 in the 77s, but I want you to be reminded of what happened at the beginning. You see, Daniel, in chapter 9, if you know the story, had been reading the Word of God, the prophets, and he read Jeremiah's. Well, we just read tonight, chapter 29. We stopped at verse 9, chapter 29, verse 10 and following talks about how there's 70 years for Babylon. And Daniel came to realize from reading the scriptures and believing it and taking it literally that his time in captivity, their time in captivity was about to come to an end because he knew that God had said it was going to be around 70 years. And so then he began praying and while he's praying, Gabriel comes and look at verse um, 20. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks or seventy sevens are decreed about your people, the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. There's a whole lot of stuff right there that hasn't been restored yet, has it? Is sin all done? Now, has righteousness been fully brought in? No. Have they anointed the most holy place yet? No. Oh, by the way, there's going to come a day when there's not a need for vision and profit. I'm going to be out of a job because the Bible says in those days, they'll all know the Lord. There won't be anybody saying know the Lord because they'll all know him. I'm going to play a lot of golf. <laughs> maybe, but maybe so. I don't know. Let's close tonight. With, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 24. As you're turning there, let me set the stage. This is on the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. These two men that are on the road to Emmaus were a part of the group, probably probably included in that number of 120, and the Holy Spirit came because they had been there with the people prior to that. They had heard Mary, the Marys come back and say how they had seen visions of angels and how Jesus hadn't, been in the tomb when they went. Of course, they talk about the fact that John and Peter race to the tomb and go check it and find it empty. And they're discouraged though and they're walking home back to Emmaus and as you know, Jesus shows up with them and he keeps them from recognizing that it's him. And in verse 25 of Luke 24, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. Again, we're in the New Testament here, folks. Jesus tells them, you need to know all that the prophets have spoken and believe all that the prophets have spoken. By the way, that means take some time to study Micah. Take some time to study Habakkuk and Zechariah, Zephaniah. There's so much stuff. I only can give you a little bit. You say, you're not giving us a little bit. But actually, this is a little bit. We'll go to verse 44. As you know, Jesus reveals to them who he is when he breaks the bread, and then he disappears, and they run all the way back to Jerusalem. Now this is in the upper room. And Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the prophets, that's all of them, and the Psalms. Folks, there's tons of prophecy in the Psalms that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I love the next verse. Then he opened their minds to understand scripture. Folks, you have Jesus living within you. The Bible says, I have Jesus himself talking to his disciples and to us, I have more to share with you, more than you can now bear. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll make it known. He'll show you what is to come. And so I can't be the one who takes care of you in these days. I'm just one of many that God may use to teach and to preach the word of God. I wish I could tell you things are going to be really good. I don't know. And I know this much. Long term, no, they won't. Things are going to get worse and worse on this planet church age is drawn to a close. So we need to know all that the prophets have spoken so that when all this chaos happens, we won't be like the two men on the road to Emmaus who were discouraged because of all the stuff that hit the fan. Why did they get upset? They didn't know all that the prophets have spoken and believe it. So folks, I challenge you. Find some reputable Bible teachers. Find some places that are teaching on prophecy. Get to know what is to come. Because I do know this much: I believe that things are going to pick up even more speed than they already have. Birth Sorry? Birth pains. Birth pains. But actually, the birth pains won't start till the beginning of the tribulation. The ones Jesus referred to. Those birth pains are, don't begin till the opening of the seals. But that will happen definitely at that point. But I think between now and then as well, there's still a few more things that have to be put in place for the tribulation period to begin. Rapture can happen any moment. But in order for the tribulation period to begin, there's a few more things that still have to be put in place that aren't there yet scripturally. But I think they're going to happen fast. They're going to happen fast. So till next week, I love you. We'll see you then. Thanks for coming.